31. So this morning is a follow-up, part two if you like, from last week where we looked at the implications of the Imago Dei, the fact that we have been created in the image of God. While all of creation bears the stamp of its maker, nothing else in all of creation, only man and woman, bear the image of their creator. And this is highlighted in the, in the truth that while all fish and birds and animals would, would follow after their own kind, only mankind was made after God kind. Everything else God said and it was so, but then the whole process of creation was, was paused, was stopped for the sacred moment of the creation of man. Because it was a very special moment. And that's the way that the creation of man on day six is presented to us. So this is a truth that reverberates through all of scripture. And this truth where, where it has been accepted as such has transformed societies who have, have based their constitutions, their, their respect for, for human dignity on this tremendous truth. Because you remove this, why should we care? Why should it matter? Why should, shouldn't we continue to abuse each other and, and treat us according to the colour of our skin, according to our level uh, within society or the education or the, the country that we were born in? However, if we take this truth as God's word, then all of life is sacred. So therefore, wherever this Judeo-Christian faith has had an impact, there is much, a much higher view of human life. However, what we are seeing today is that a lot of this is continue to be questioned and even more so um, with the laws that are coming out. It's not just being questioned, but a lot of this stuff has been enacted into law and a lot of this biblical principles that we have taken for granted are now being undermined. This is causing problems that we don't fully understand the consequences, consequences down the line. So if we don't know where we've come from, we don't know where we're going, we sort of get mixed up as, as to what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime. There's a story of a couple of Aussie sailors who were drinking well into the night in a pub in England. And well after midnight they decided to go back to their ship but they got terribly lost because of a, a very heavy fog. So they, they saw a fellow coming, coming their way. He happened to be a captain in the Navy but they could not recognise him because of their state of inebriation. And they asked, excuse me mate, uh, are you able to, to tell us where we are? And the captain responded, do you know who I am? And the sailor turns to his buddy and says, great, we're all in trouble now. We don't know where we are and he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> so in the Bible, uh, God answers crucial questions of life like this. 
Where did we come from? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? And what we're supposed to do in the meantime? These are all legitimate questions. But you need to be prepared to accept the answer. Not continue to question the answer. Not continue to undermine it. The answer is that we need to find ourselves in our Creator and our identity will flow on from that. He's given us an instruction manual, which is the Word of God, which contains the main framework of how we are to get along with one another, get along with our Creator, which is the most important part, and how we will find value in the things that we do. God wants us to know who he is and everything flows on from that, including our relationship with his creation. And all of those things were actually cursed as a result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And moreover, I think the quest for meaning in the present is obviously linked to our origin and our destiny. And I mentioned last week that a lot of that is being questioned now. If you don't know where you're going, then therefore, how do you define purpose? How do you define meaning? It's okay to abort. It's okay to euthanize. Because there is no ultimate meaning in anything that we do. So this morning we're going to look at the the privilege and responsibility that God has given man. If you need to join one message with the other, you can probably look at the message from last week online and you can make a bit more sense of this morning. So first of all, let's look at the blessing. God blessed them and said to them, God blessed them and said to them, after he created man and woman, this is what he did. The privilege of being made image bearers will have repercussions in so many areas. One of these, mentioned last week, is that we can hear and receive God's word, God's instruction, because he is communicating with us, this ability to be able to communicate with our maker. No other creature can do that in the ways that humans can. We have develop we have because we have been made in the image of God all of our senses are heightened we can see we can hear we can speak we can feel we can touch we can taste the privilege however also carries a tremendous responsibility because we are moral spiritual beings we cannot continue to claim ignorance that we didn't know. To bless, what does it mean? To bless is to bestow not only a gift but also a function. Bestows not only a gift but also a function. That's when God blesses. That's what he's able to do. That's what he does. Not only something to receive but also something to give and to share. So, If God said, have a great, to Adam and Eve, by blessing them, 
he's saying to them, have a great life. Enjoy yourselves. Have a ball down there. I give you everything you need to enjoy life. Enjoy it. Don't mess it up. Because if you mess it up, you will suffer. It has mortal consequences. And the importance of this blessing cannot be overlooked. Because throughout the the remainder of the book of Genesis, and this word blessing occurs numerous times, this, this word blessing is a central theme. But understand that man is to be not a closed reservoir of God's blessings, but actually a channel of God's blessings to others. And that's very important. So when you pray, God bless me, God bless my family, it should always be not so that you and your family become an end in itself, for themselves, but rather that use me as a channel so that your blessings can flow through to others. And that is the principle that continues right throughout the Scriptures. Because many problems happen, and in many churches, unfortunately, it's the whole prosperity thing is that, oh, I need a, a new jet because I need to get from here to there without queuing up at the airport. Okay, fine. And so therefore, you know, you grow a mega church and, and all of this and, and, and therefore you become the be-all and end-all of God's blessings. Is that really scriptural? No. God's original design in all of creation was for his creatures, including mankind, to experience prosperity, peace and fulfilment. But that design was obviously marred when sin entered the world in the fall, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. But even within that chapter, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, there's already a, a promise that further down the track, the Son of God would come and mankind will experience the ultimate blessing that God has given us through Him. The new life, the forgiveness. So, so, so even as, as the curse fell on mankind, God already promised the solution and the deliverance through Jesus. And then he said, God said, the following statement, be fruitful and increase in number. That is reproduction. Be fruitful and increase in number. One of the obvious results of being blessed is human fertility. It is important that we see these commands to Adam and Eve and later to Noah in chapter 9 verse, verse 1 as being directed to the, to the heads of the human race, not simply to, to individuals. That is, that God has not charged every human being to get married and have kids in order to fulfil his purposes. This seems, to, this seems clear from the fact that Jesus, as far as we know, um, um, and the, as far as we know, the Apostle Paul, Jesus was definitely single, and as far as we know, the Apostle Paul did not have any children. Paul 
the Apostle Paul would later advise and, and he would say that it is good to remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Moreover, because of the fall, many men and women, even though they desperately want to, are simply incapable of reproducing. And it becomes a real, a real problem, a real, uh, especially when, we, when you talk to, to women who are, are trying to conceive and they're not able to, it becomes a, it becomes a heartache. And some, as we know, there are many stories in the, in the scriptures of some women in, who, despite the fact that they wanted to conceive and, and, and bring life into the world, were not able to. And then God intervened and they were able to, to bear children. A sign of God's blessing. Today, the world population is over 8 billion people. The Australian population is just under 26 million. You put 26 million next to 8 billion and we are 0.3 of 1% of the world population. And the only reason the Australian population is growing is because of immigration. The fertility rate that is needed to replace what we have into the future replacing mom, dad with, with a kid is actually more than two, it's actually 2.1. 2.1 children per family if we want to replace what we have. And the average number of babies Australian women are having has fallen below 1.8. It's actually 1.7 something. 1.8, 1.7 per woman. Although low... Compared to countries like Spain and Japan, the fertility rate in, in those countries is 1.4. And this is going to create tremendous problems into the future. The only way they're able to maintain the, their services and future pensions and all the other stuff is by immigration. The interesting thing is that they have conducted a survey of 10,000 young people to check their attitudes right throughout the world. 10,000 young people. And 40% of them were hesitant to have children because of climate change. They didn't want to be a burden to the planet. 40% of them. So this doesn't uh, go well for the, for the future, right? On continuing to have, to have children. When considering, therefore, the times in which we live, it is important for us to recognise that children are a blessing, not a burden. I know, it's a big statement, right? They're a blessing, not a burden. The psalmist said it quite well. He said, children are a gift of the Lord. Psalm 127 verse 3. Yes, our children are one of the greatest blessings and biggest responsibilities that we will have. God entrusts these children to us. So we need to take the time and effort, not just to bring them up, but bring them up in the ways of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord so that they're trained in His ways so we can continue to have 
citizens, responsible citizens in our country who actually take up this, this charge to, to make a difference to mankind. Every child dedication services, and I've dedicated a few children, every child dedication service reinforces that point of our responsibility for our children. And then it talks about land management. This is where we're getting a little bit more controversial here. It says, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In chapter 2 of Genesis, the, the idea is developed further, but the words subdue and rule do not mean destroy or ruin. This is responsible care for creation. It means act as managers, as stewards who have authority to run everything as God has planned, as God has instructed you to do. So Adam and Eve were appointed as vice regents over planet Earth in the world that God made. And what a world that he made for them. He filled it to overflowing with, with animals and birds and fish and plants and trees and rivers and streams and oceans and mountains and meadows. He crammed it full of colours and aromas and tastes. And then he said to Adam and Eve, it's all yours. Take care of it. Rule over it. Study it. Learn from it. Develop it, build on it, enjoy yourself, go exploring, plant the garden, grow some vegetables, play with the lions, go swimming, go hiking, go skiing. This brand new place is unique. It's called Earth. With all the telescopes peering into the heavens and looking into other galaxies, it's always interesting when there's a headline saying, oh, so astronomers have discovered a planet or a moon or something that has the same conditions as Earth. Well, how long is it going to take us to get there? Well, about 10 light years. So if you're able to travel at the speed of light, it'll still take you 10 years to get there. Oh, just around the corner, isn't it? Because what is happening is that we, in a way, I'm firmly of the belief that there is no other planet with life on it. We can argue that till the cows come home and all of this. Because God created this for us, for you and me. There is nothing else in the rest of the universe. You can continue to look for it. You can continue to question it. You can continue to argue and debate And, and I think that one of the real reasons why we continue to, to hope to look for aliens and others is because we say, well, human beings couldn't possibly come up with a design for their pyramids. They couldn't possibly have done it on their own. Human beings couldn't possibly just emerge from nothing. Well, I'm saying God created it. It's not just the pond, you know, something lightning struck this little pond and suddenly this, these little maggots started coming to life and bred into higher forms of life. 
We can't, we, we can't accept the fact that God said and it was so. So it was saying, no, no, it, it's the origin of life actually happened because aliens came here. Because we need to replace God with aliens. And like I said to you yesterday, Darwin's book, The Origin of Life, of the Species, is not about origin of life. It's actually about species. It's not about origins. He tries to explain it anyway. So therefore, we, we, we're, trying, we're just pushing it back into the unknown. Well, I'm saying, well, we don't have to live with the unknown because we know what happened. God, the Bible tells us. And everything, Romans chapter 1, all of creation reminds us of what a beautiful world God has created and yet we try to push it away, push God away. We have no excuse. Everything screams design. It's shouting at us. Whether you point a a telescope into the heavens or a microscope, an electronic microscope that can look into the cells and the tremendous structures within each living cell. It's a miracle that it all comes together. And in, in our individuality, I didn't mention this last week, but suddenly, let's say you have an accident and, and you, you chop two or three fingers and you say, well, Let's just go and implant somebody else's fingers into your fingers. Your body is actually going to reject it because it's not yours. So you have to take these pills and these, these chemicals in order to, to avoid the rejection because God created us as individuals. Each cell within the billions and trillions of cells within your body are, are, are unique to you. This is why in transplants and heart transplants and livers and everything else, you have to, for the rest of your life, you have to take anti-rejection pills. Doesn't that tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Of course, let's go back to creation. And after the fall happens and things will be somewhat messed up, but not totally so. As a, result, as a result of this, fallen man has gone into two directions when it comes to his relationship with the earth. Either abuse or devotion. Abuse or devotion. Either he has tended to abuse and spoil the creation through pollution and, and other ways. Or he has ruled or has been ruled by creation through false worship of nature through these two extremes exist in our society today. Some want to exploit and destroy the land while others have this reverential awe of nature making men subservient to, to plants and animals. Both extremes are dangerous, both abuse and devotion. There is no biblical Balance in some churches, they have a plant. As you come in, 
you actually, before you go to church, you can actually spend time with a plant. You can pray to the plant. Or you go into nature and you hug a tree. Your brother, I told you last week, bananas, I have 50% of my DNA are in common with bananas. I can hug my, my half-brother. And yet, we hate to see the, the abuse as well, don't we? When rivers become polluted and full of gunk, we love to swim in crystal clear waters. This biblical balance is what stewardship is about. God gave man authority and responsibility to manage nature, to advance civilization. This is also known as the cultural mandate, which is a, has been a controversial statement, but it's called the cultural mandate. But remember that the earth does not belong to us because the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Not ours, it's his. We are to care for and manage what has been given to us and we are responsible for the results. While this does not give man the right to abuse nature, nature was given so we can be served by nature, not vice versa, not us serving nature, but nature serving us. It also doesn't justify giving animals and plants the rights of human beings. There was a paper written by Lynn White in 1967. 1967, the the hippie days. 1967, which which blamed the Judeo-Christian tradition for our so-called ecological crisis, which was already, they were talking about it in the 1960s. And she actually cited verse, uh, these verses in Genesis chapter 1 as, as being the, the, the root of the problem. And, and many Christians today believe this, that we are, that, 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 we, have, that we need to start, you know, destroying this and destroying that and, and, and we need to, to, to it's how the whole climate change thing is our fault and, and this is pushed through churches even and through universities and schools and the media. And it says that Christians need to redefine what it is that God is saying to us here. Well, we don't need to redefine anything. The problem is it's abuse. For the Hindus, the river, Ganges River, is a, is a sacred river. They worship it. It's a god for many of the, the indigenous cultures, the, the rivers are snakes and all that that turn into rivers. The worship of nature, we see it all around. Some four decades ago, global cooling was the fear, with warnings of a new ice age being the primary scare tactic. 
couple of decades ago, the tone changed to global warming. But nowadays, the less specific catchphrase is climate change, which includes hot and cold, dry and wet, etc. Whenever there's a change, it's climate change. You've got everything. And, and most scientists, climatologists, politicians are certain, they're all on the bandwagon that human activity, primarily the production of carbon dioxide, is impacting the environment. What they are not certain about is precisely what the impact will be, but they keep telling us it will be bad. But one thing climatologists, ecologists, geologists are unanimous in recognising is that the earth has gone through significant and, and dramatic temperature climate change in the past. It has happened. Rainforests. I know, it's hard to believe. A thousand years ago, Greenland was green. It's not just somebody just make up for fun, you know, having fun and listen. Right? Actually, Greenland was green. And even though these past climate changes were not caused by human activity, they are certain that what is happening now is caused by human activity. Why? Just look at your history. Um, we should view this whole climate change thing with scepticism, critically, but honestly and respectfully. Tell us the whole story. When you're telling us, when you're telling me that the Amazon is the, the lungs of the, the planet because it produces 20% of the oxygen, that is not the full story. It's actually not true at all. I've quoted this before, but one acre, one acre of rainforest produces enough oxygen for 20 people, one acre of rainforest. You can check the figures, you can do all of that. One acre of lawn, your humble grass just across the road there, one acre of lawn produces enough oxygen for 60 people. More than that, it actually sequesters carbon dioxide into the grass a lot more than what the, the rainforests do. Because the whole the rainforest is actually an, it's a, it's a, it's an actual system contained underneath the canopy. If you walk through one, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Water goes up, it comes down, continually raining. It's, it's a whole ecosystem on its own. The effectiveness of the Amazon is only like 8%, not 20 So tell, please, and, and I love trees, love trees. The, the, the root system, it stops erosion. The, 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 the branches help the, the birds to put their best and, and wildlife and they grow and the, the shades and all of these. I love all of that. Grass can't do that. But please tell me the whole story. Don't just tell me, just, don't just you know, indoctrinate me. 
This is why I question a lot of the stuff that is happening. It's propaganda. It's almost like living in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Tell me the whole story, please. This reason Christians should view the whole climate thing, like I said, with scepticism. But most of all, we should look at all of this biblically. The Bible teaches us that God controls the climate, not us. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, he promised, after the flood, this is God's promise, as long as the earth endures, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. He is the one who chooses to bless or curse. When our forefathers had droughts, they prayed. But didn't blame greenhouse gases, they blamed their sins. They repented and God restored. In James chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, James looks back at a, at a great story of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament and, and this is what James says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Elijah must have been very popular at birthday parties. He was the cause of climate change. Poor Elijah. Three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. And once again Elijah was welcomed to Christmas parties. Yes, I do believe the climate is changing. Surprise, surprise. But it is always changing. It is not the weather that concerns me, but what concerns me is the moral climate, not the temperature outside. Are any of these things the, 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 the primary focus of followers of Jesus Christ? No. As Christians, our focus should be proclaiming the truth of the gospel. The message that has the power to save souls, human beings. Not chickens or ducks or trees. Saving the planet is not within our power, but God's. It's his domain. Climate change may or may not be real. It may or may not be humanly caused. What we can know for certain is that God is good and sovereign and that this planet will be our habitat for as long as God desires it to be. I read again this promise. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And there have been some marvellous stories of, of the restoration that some men have done. Like, uh, one story I was reading about is in Costa Rica, in Central America, uh, this, this barren place, some, a, a couple of uh, uh, 
a couple, a husband and a wife, decided to talk to the local orange producer who were making orange juice, and they said, can we, instead of dumping all that pulp, that, uh, the orange peel and all of that, just in, uh, into landfill, come and dump it in this area here, it was about 10 acres, and see what happens. Anyway, they, they started dumping tons and tons, truckloads and truckloads of, of these orange peel, just orange peel, right, and, and, and pulp. Then a, a fight developed between the, I think it was the a university and, and the orange producer and all of this, and for 20 years it was just left. Nobody looked at it after that. But then somebody decided to check what was going on. And there was a whole jungle that had grown in the last 20 years. There were birds, there were animals, everything had been just absolutely... They were amazed at how the earth could be restored as such. I'm saying, wow. You know, and God has given us an intelligence. He's given us a brain. He's given us the resources to be able to, to manage this world, this beautiful world that is given us. We need to do that. But let us remember that we are at the top of the food chain. Verses 29 to 30. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground... Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every plant for food. And it was so. Now, it absolutely breaks my heart to acknowledge this. Before the fall, God made us to be vegetarians. (laughs) And I don't like to say that, but... After the fall, after, in fact, after Noah, uh, it wasn't after the, after the flood that meat was given, food for man. And God said to Noah in, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 to 4, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I have given you the green plants, I now give you everything. But Genesis is not interested on whether people were vegetarian, but in the fact that it was God who provided them with the food that they, that they needed to sustain life. We can see that there is a practical and there is a spiritual aspect to this. Firstly, the spiritual, does that mean that you are more spiritual? It's more spiritual to be vegetarian. Well, in our series in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul spoke about this, right? It's not more spiritual to be vegetarian or vegan. Uh, In fact, when the angel of the Lord appeared in the Old Testament, in in, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 18, when the angel of the Lord appeared to to Abraham, they were eating beef while visiting Abraham. Jesus ate roasted lamb at the the Passover. The shedding of blood would 
would have significance after the fall because it was a, a picture of the coming redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. So while we, you are free not to eat meat for dietary reasons, if you choose conviction, you are not more sanctified or holy by doing so. That's the, that's the spiritual side of things. But now for the practical. One of the most dramatic effects after the fall it happened because it was, it was the curse. Remember God said to them, if you eat of the fruit, you will die. And obviously Adam and Eve didn't die straight away. But what happened was that their cells began to die. All their cells had a use-by date. And, and so that those cells need to be reproduced. Our, our cells within our body every day, some die and some are born and, and, and live for a certain number of days, weeks, and then they die. And new ones emerge. This is all when man became mortal. We need, we need to maintain our immune system. Our cells not only began to deteriorate, but they began to die. So meat is one of the richest sources of protein. And proteins are the main building blocks in our cells, in our bodies. You need protein in your diet to help your body repair cells, to make new ones when you have an injury, to repair itself. Without protein, life as we know it would not be possible. Our cells need protein. And yes, you can have vegetables and beans and all that stuff which are rich in proteins, fine, but, nothing, but it's very hard to find something to replace the practicality of eating meat. Having said all that, the prophet Isaiah does prophesy of a time in the new heaven and the new earth when the world is restored to its intended glory under the reign of Jesus Christ. And this is what he, what he said in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together in the, in the open. That doesn't happen. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Lions eating straw, just like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountains, says the Lord. So it's in God's restoration of the new creation. Animals will no longer prey upon animals, but the bear and the lion will be best mates, grazing together like cows. This is God's way of restoring the new heavens and the new earth. And it's all good, verse 31, it's all good. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The, the first chapter in the whole of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, concludes with these beautiful words. While everything else was, was good, God evaluates only this day's work has been very good. Everything else was good. This was very good. Why is this? 
because we have reached the climax of creation. The, the, the real completion of it all occurs with the creation of man. You, you, you picture an artist standing back from his, his painting. He looks at the totality of his works, that the, whatever he has conceived in his mind, it's, it's there, it's now on, on a canvas. And he stands back, he looks at it one way and another and he says, it's complete, it's finished and it's very, very good. I'm really pleased with my, what I've achieved. But I, there's another aspect here and, and you, you need to get your head around this. The Bible tells us that we have been chosen before the creation of the world, right? So God knows everything that's going to happen. Like I said last week, all the tears, all the heartache, everything that was going to happen. And, and follow me here. The sixth day of the week we call Friday in English, right? the sixth day of the week. It is no mere accident that years later our forefathers would name one Friday out of the whole year as being Good Friday. A day in which we remember the author of creation as the author of our salvation declaring from the cross it is finished. It is finished. It is complete. It is, in fact, very good. It's perfect. The perfect sacrifice. And you see, only a loving, mighty God can turn something around that is bad and ugly and evil into something that will be perfectly good and beautiful. It would take a perfect sacrifice of the only sinless, perfect human, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, who was able to get on the cross and atone for our sins. And when he declared that it's finished, it was exactly what he intended it should be. God sets the standard for good, so he knows when something is very good. And this is why all his works in all the places of his dominion will forever praise his name for all of eternity. Amen.